0: We'll do a, a sermon this morning, uh, kind of s- setting that up and introducing the fruit of the Spirit. And I'll be reading from Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 26. This is God's Word. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Again, that is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask now this morning that you would bless our time together in your word. We thank you for it. We thank you that it is living and active, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And we pray that this morning your word would be useful in our lives as that sword. Cutting away what Is uh, displeasing to you, what is unnecessary, what is contrary to the gospel, and adding to our lives that which is pleasing in your sight, which builds up and encourages us in our walk with Christ. We ask it all in his name and for his sake. Amen. Well, you've heard me say many times that uh, one of the most basic principles uh, that we use when we interpret the Bible. Is that we all must, always must keep a text in its context. And I keep repeating that because that principle is so very important. If you take a text out of its context, you can make it say almost anything you want it to say. But keeping a text in its context, however, forces you to see where it is placed in the Bible. It forces you to see how it is related to the other verses around it, where it is found. It forces you to ask questions like, Why did this writer put this in this place? How do these verses relate to the broader context in which it's found? What was the historical situation that led to these words being placed in this place in the Bible?" These verses that contain the fruit of the Spirit are some easy verses to yank from their context. It's interesting to me that sometimes it's the most familiar verses and passages that we most often tend to take out of their context. Verses like John 3.16 or 1 Corinthians 13. Other very familiar passages often are kind of quoted or used out of the context in which we find them in the Word of God, and therefore often they are misunderstood. There's a reason that the fruit of the Spirit is found in the book of Galatians, and not in some other book of the Bible. The church in Galatia, to which this letter was written, had significant problems. In fact, it was in danger of falling into heresy. That is, they were in danger of believing things that were contrary to the fundamental truths of the Gospel that Paul had taught them. It is a stern letter It was written to deal with some very serious theological issues that had raised their heads in this church. There are no pleasantries at the beginning of this letter. No words from Paul thanking God for them and uh, encouraging them. He gets right down to business if you go back to chapter 1 in verse 6 where he says in verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. You see, there were false teachers who'd come into Galatia after Paul had left. And they were teaching things to the believers there contrary to what Paul had taught. You know, Paul had taught a gospel of salvation by grace alone, through Christ alone, by faith alone. But these false teachers they were known as Judaizers. These false teachers taught that Christ and grace and faith by themselves were not enough. That there had to be an element of human works and merit added to it for someone to be saved. They wanted the believers in Galatia to continue to follow the Jewish traditions and ceremonies and rituals and not simply to depend upon Christ alone. For their salvation or for their sanctification. Notice Paul calls it in verse 6 of chapter 1 a different gospel. Different. Not the same as what he had taught and proclaimed to them. And he makes it clear that to believe this different gospel would put their souls in grave danger. And the primary distinction between these two gospels, the one Paul taught and the one these false teachers taught was that one depended upon the work of the Spirit, the other dependent upon the works of the flesh. One centered upon what God had done for us through Christ. The other centered upon what man could do by his own efforts and abilities. And the basic question that Paul had for them is found in verse chapter 3 and verse 3, where he asked them this, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? The theme of flesh and spirit weaves its way all the way through the book of Galatians and is especially profound in the text I read this morning from chapter 5. The Bible teaches that the flesh is death, but the Spirit gives life. And the Galatians were being encouraged to depend upon the flesh and not on the Spirit. And Paul could not have given a more vigorous rebuttal to it than he does here in the book of Galatians. You see, the distinguishing mark of a Christian in that is that we do not depend upon the flesh or the works of the flesh, or the efforts of the flesh, but rather on the fruit of the Spirit. The Christian life is not some rigorous adherence to rules and principles and regulations, but rather it is living in the Spirit and showing forth the fruit of the Spirit. Again, how do you know that you are a believer? It is, of course, based upon the promise of God that He tells us, if you confess your sins, you'll be forgiven. If you come to Christ, embrace Him as your Savior, He will give you salvation. But it's more than that. How do you know that you're a believer this morning? It has to be to some degree by the evidence of it you see in your life. Saving faith, again, is a life-changing faith. And if there's no change in your life, if there's no difference that it makes, in the way that you conduct yourself, in the way that you speak, in the way that you act, in the way that you relate to other people, if there's no change, no difference, then you need to ask yourself about the sincerity and the reality of your faith in Christ. So Paul is talking here about the relationship between the flesh and the spirit. And I want to uh, talk this morning about that contrast as we prepare to deal with with the various aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Paul gives us four things here from which the, the fruit of the Spirit uh, comes. And the first one is the fruit of the Spirit grows out of obedience. The fruit of the Spirit grows out of obedience. There are some things you must do in order to manifest the fruit of the Spirit in your life. There are at least two biblical commands you must obey in order to uh, to reach the place where you want to be, down in Galatians chapter five, verses twenty-two and twenty-three. One of those commands is found here in our text; the other is found in John fifteen. We read that earlier in our eutisere of scripture. If you go with me to John fifteen for just a moment, we'll look there briefly. John fifteen. This again is the passage of, uh, where Jesus talks about uh, the vine and the branches. You know, fruit doesn't just appear out of, out of nowhere. Fruit grows from a vine that is growing out of soil from which it derives nourishment. And Jesus is very clear in teaching that we can only bear spiritual fruit as we are attached to Him as the vine if we are abiding in Him. John 15 you look at verses four and five where jesus says abide in me and i in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine so neither can you unless you abide in me i'm the vine you're the branches he who abides in me and i in him he bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing the command is abide in me and of course the uh the the flip side of that is Jesus says and I abide in you we've seen already Jesus abides in his people through the presence of the Holy Spirit and Jesus clearly in this text ties together the demonstration of fruit or fruitfulness with abiding in him it's as we abide in Christ as we are attached to the vine draw our spiritual nourishment from him then we're able to produce the spiritual fruit that we desire to show. We abide in Christ through trusting Him for salvation, by communing with Him, through reading His Word in prayer, as we live in obedience to Him and to His Word, and as we worship Him as a body of believers. If you're going to show the fruit of the Spirit You have to be attached to Christ as the vine. You have to be abiding in Him. The other command is found in our text in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 16. Where Jesus says, walk by the Spirit. And then if you look down to verse 25, He says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. It's essential that we not only abide in Christ, but we also do what Paul calls walking by the Spirit. Now this is in the present tense in the Greek. It indicates a continual action, something we do repeatedly over and over again. It's to be a practice, the pattern of our lives, that we walk in the Spirit. And it also, of course, walking implies progress. It implies moving from one one place to another. And the context is going from where you are to where you ought to be. The Holy Spirit, as we walk in the Spirit, helps us move, make progress in our spiritual lives to grow and to mature and to develop to be what God has called us to be. To walk in the Spirit is to live by His power to look to him to produce holiness in us holiness comes from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives holiness does not come from our performance only but it comes from the performance of the Holy Spirit in us as he works in us and as we walk in him And so to to bear the fruit of the Spirit, it's just like in your garden, you've got to do a little cultivation. that cultivation comes from abiding in Christ and walking in the Spirit. Second, the fruit of the Spirit comes from enduring a conflict. Enduring a conflict. If you have a tree, a fruit tree in your yard, it faces many hazards. There are many things that can keep that tree from bearing the fruit that you hope that it will bear. And it's this time of year isn't it, when we think about those kinds of things, you know, especially early spring this year, and so many things have already begun to bud and bloom, and they face many hazards. One's a late cold snap that could come and nip those buds and keep them from producing what you hope they will. If we enter a period of drought, no rain, lack of moisture can keep those buds from producing what you expect them to produce they say because it's been a mild winter we have a lot of bugs this spring and you know insects can attack those trees and their buds and keep them from producing the fruit that you want and then there are man made hazards one in particular my wife gets after me about and that's getting too close to the tree with a weed eater and uh, taking the bark off, and uh, I've learned trees don't do too well with a ring of bark taken away. All kinds of hazards. Some by nature, some man made. But if your tree survives those hazards, guess what? It'll produce all kinds of good fruit. And that's the way it is in your spiritual life. There are all kinds of hazards that you face as you try to produce the fruit of the Spirit. And the primary hazard is what the Bible calls the flesh. Look at verses 16 and 17 where Paul says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sits its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. The flesh here refers to what remains of our old sinful nature. Even though many of our sinful acts are performed in the body and by the body, in the context here, this reference to the flesh is not referring to the physical body, but rather it's referring to the remnants of the old sinful nature. Nature that still exists in us, even though we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. The whole issue of spiritual warfare is predicated upon the fact that we still have in us remnants of the old man, and it's it's those remnants of the old man and Satan comes to entice and uh, to tempt to draw us into sin. It's a constant struggle that we have as believers. You know, unbeliever doesn't face that struggle. You don't know, have a new nature. I only has one nature. We have the new nature that struggles against the old. And, you know, in Romans 7, Paul talks about his own personal struggle. The good that I would, I don't do. The very evil that I hate, that's what I do. And can't we all identify with that? That constant struggle within our lives. And that's a struggle against the flesh. Paul says something very interesting in Romans chapter 13. If you'll turn back to Romans 13 for just a second. Romans 13. And verse 14. The last verse of that chapter. Where Paul says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh, in regard to its lusts. What an interesting way to put it. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Well, the best way to eliminate the desires of the flesh is to starve them to death. You need to avoid situations where your flesh is inflamed and fleshly lusts are aroused or temptation becomes too great. If you're like me, when you struggle with the, with the lust of the flesh, the temptation of the flesh, the fleshly desire to eat too much, I struggle with that. I need to avoid buffets. You know, I heard John MacArthur say one time, you know, Paul says, you're to, bu- to buffet your body. That's not to buffet your body. To buffet your body. I struggle there. If you struggle with the, the, the fleshly desire for lust, sexual lust, then there are probably some movies and TV shows you don't need to see. Probably some books and magazines you don't need to read. Probably some websites on your computer to which you don't, you don't need to go. If you struggle with the desire for alcohol, for drink, to excess you probably need to avoid it completely but sometimes avoidance is not possible sometimes we find ourselves in the conflict and the conflict is intense in in those situations you need to realize what Paul says here the, the flesh and the spirit are in opposition to one another And your flesh is trying to keep the spirit from accomplishing its work in your life. So that you may not do the things that you please. And so you need to realize the conflict is there. But spiritual growth and spiritual fruit arises out of that conflict. When you realize the struggle is real. But you walk by the spirit. You put away the desires of the and you show in your life evidence of the real fruit of the Spirit. Then, third, the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is in contrast to what Paul calls, the Bible calls, the deeds of the flesh. You know, if you yield to the desires of the flesh, you'll end up performing the deeds of the flesh. If you walk by the Spirit, you will show. The fruit of the Spirit. And you need to understand those things stand in opposition to one another. And Paul lists them here together in Romans chapter 5. And you need to understand when you study the fruit of the Spirit, they're given in contrast to the deeds of the flesh. Unbelievers are consumed by the desires of the flesh. Believers are consumed by by the desire to show forth the fruit of the Spirit. And again, the deeds of the flesh are a sign of spiritual death. The fruit of the Spirit is a sign of spiritual life. If you are consistently yielding in your life to the desires of the flesh, then you're indicating there's some question if there's real spiritual life. Again, how do you know that you're born again? How do you know that you have real saving faith? How do you know the Holy Spirit is living in you? It is by the evidence you see of it in your life. The fruit that it bears in you. Let's be real clear. If you read through Galatians chapter 5 and you find in your life more of the characteristics of the deeds of the flesh which is described in verses 19 through 21 then you do evidence of the fruit of the spirit which is given in verses 22 and 23 and you have a real problem now, all of us slip back into the old ways. All of us yield to the temptations. Well, what is Paul talking about here is the pattern of your life. What is it that you desire the most? Do you desire the deeds of the flesh? or you, Do you desire the fruit of the Spirit? That is the key element. Are you trying in your own life on a daily basis to put away those deeds of the flesh that displease God. And you know, Paul's clear into verse 21. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are the things people outside the kingdom do. Or are you desiring to show the real fruit of the Spirit? I want you to understand that these lists are not exhaustive. You shouldn't think that these deeds of the flesh that Paul gives us here are the only manifestations of the deeds of the flesh. Nor should you think that the nine characteristics given here through the Spirit are the only ways the Spirit is manifest in your life. Notice with me again into verse twenty-one, where he says, talks about those who practice such things, not just these things, but things like them. It says the same thing after the fruit of the Spirit. Into verse 23, against such things, things like this, there is no law. Well, what are they again? The deeds of the flesh are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And fourth, in closing, I want you to see that the fruit of the Spirit shows our character. fruit of the Spirit shows our character. A couple of weeks ago, when I was, I preached on the gifts of the Spirit. Gifts that God gives us, equips us with gifts to to serve the body of Christ. This morning we're looking at something different. We're looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And that fruit of the Spirit can be called the graces of the Spirit. It's unfortunate really that the church is focused far more on the gifts of the Spirit than on the fruit of the Spirit. That is, the church has focused on the external gifts that the Spirit gives rather than on the internal change the Spirit brings in the life of a believer. The church has more often than not pointed to the gifts of the Spirit as an evidence of the manifestation of the Spirit in our lives than the fruit of the Spirit. You need to understand that the Holy Spirit produces holiness in God's people. It is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit the Spirit accomplishes in us. See, character matters. Not just in life in general, but in the Christian life in particular. We're not just to claim to be Christians, we're to live like Christians. We're to be different from the world. Not just as individual believers, but also as a body of believers, as the church. You know, it's real easy to come to Galatians five and, and begin to read the deeds of the flesh. Again, they are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, and stop there and think. You know, that didn't characterize me. I, I, I'm not involved in immorality or idolatry, impurity, sensuality. I don't show the deeds. Though. But then you read on, and it becomes more personal. Where it includes things like enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, and envies. You know as well as I do, there are many believers many homes, many churches, where those kinds of things raise their ugly heads, where there are disputes, dissensions, factions, outbursts of anger. That's not what you want to see in your life. It's not what you want to see in your family's life. It's certainly not what we want to see in the church's life. What we want to see is evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. And so, over the next number of weeks, we're going to be looking at each one of them individually. And, and how do they show themselves in our lives individually, in our homes, and in the church? Are you a loving person? Are able to love those who aren't very lovable? Who don't love you in return? Are you a person who has real joy in your life? Joy not based upon your circumstances or situations, but based upon your relationship with Christ? Do you have peace? A peace that passes all understanding and keeps you calm in the center of the storm? Are you a patient person? Patient with those who try your patience, and patient with those who seem to hold you back. Are you a kind person? Not just kind to those who are kind to you, but those who don't appreciate your kindness, who never say thanks for what you do. Are you a good person, not just good in terms of moral character, but are you good to others? Are you a gentle person? Remembering that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Are you a faithful person? Faithful to keep the vows and promises you've made in your life. And do you have self-control? Able to control your passions and desires so you can live in a godly and holy way. That is the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what you should be looking for in your life, in the life of this church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the clarity and the truth of your word. And I pray that this morning you bless it, that you would help us to see the importance of putting aside the deeds of the flesh and living, showing and manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. Help us do that every day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.